Hello there. You're listening to Tin Questions, where we discuss the wet plate collodion process and the photographers that create these unique images known as ambrotypes and tintypes. I'm your host, Chad Shryock, wet plate photographer for Pork Pie Photography, based in Fort Collins, Colorado. In each episode, I've asked a modern-day practitioner to sit down with me and talk about how they got involved with this vintage process, share some information on their gear and studio, and provide some valuable insights into their creative process. So whether you're just beginning to dabble your toes in the collodion ethers, or you're a seasoned silver bath expert, hang on and see what develops with 10 questions. In this episode, I've asked a photographer who fell into the process because someone left their gear at his house before leaving the country. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good gift to leave someone. Uh, When I listen to him talk about his love of wet plate, I hear many similarities uh, with not only my own experience, but that of many others that are really enamored with the creation of an image through just the right combination of chemicals, light, and skill. Uh, based in the Oceanside, California, I'd like to welcome Conrad Young to 10 Questions. Hey, Chad. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for uh, for being on the podcast. We, uh, oh, my pleasure. Yeah, we've not had the opportunity to meet, and I look forward to uh, learning a little bit more about you and uh, how your creative juices get going with uh, the wet play process. Wonderful, wonderful. You started off shooting uh, black and white film in the mid-90s. And you spent some time working in a portrait studio, and then you actually ended up going to film school. So you've got a lot of background in this process. During that time, had you ever even heard about wet plate collodion? Um, I had. Like, I'd always like seen and looked at the old traditional forms of landscape photography, and that would it all. That is what really had moved me with photography was just seeing what was old um and one day i at the time was doing a lot of commercial work and digital work it was actually my uh the day i was getting married my my nephew uh got up on my uh, desk and knocked over all my hard drives and i was lost 10 years of photography wow and you know i i I thought i had them all backed up on discs and you know because that's what we were supposed to do back then. And all those discs were bad. So I had to figure a way to make tangible photography. Because in the digital world, everything was just on a disc, on a drive, on whatever. And I, at the time, was doing a couple little art shows. And I met a guy named Tim in the Los Rios district of San Juan. And he actually was, had been doing wet plate since 2000. And if you, right now he's uh, Vital Actions on Instagram, but he, he and I started talking. He's like, I go, I got to learn this process. It's amazing. He's like, yeah, dude, someday I'll teach you. I'm like, okay. And then he ended up going to Nicaragua to save sea turtles because he went on a surf trip and saw that people were actually eating all the eggs and one, he wanted to save the turtles. So he showed up at my house one day with his van and left two boxes full of camera gear, like chemicals, um, an eight by 10 camera, a couple lenses and says, Hey, take care of this stuff for me. I'm, I might or might not come back. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and that, the, that camera and chemicals sat in my attic for about five years. And I just, I thought about it every day. I'm like, I got to learn this wet plate. Like, what is this, this, this beautiful, process that he showed me like how can i do it and i'm i'm more of a learner where you gotta like show me something or i have to watch it to really grasp it sure and i started looking around and i met i reached out to will dunaway because he lived an hour north of me and took his first wet plate uh workshop after his um heart attack so, you know, he and I started talking for about six months and he goes, okay, like, here's the price. I'm like, I can't afford that. 
Because <laughs> okay, well, why don't you find six people, and I'll knock it down to a, a more affordable price. Right. And so I said, great, not a problem. I started calling all my friends who were all you know commercial photographers, wedding photographers, portrait photographers, all over the country. And everyone's like, dude, you're crazy. Like, why would I? I don't have time for that. And I'm like, okay. And I called Will. I'm like, Will, I can't find anybody. And I sat there. I go, give me your email list of everybody who's ever not taken a class with you. So you kind of turned into his marketing guy almost. Yes, exactly. I turned into the marketing guy. Within two days, I had six people signed up for the wet plate class. (laughs) Nice. And this was... This was uh, um, eight years ago, and we t- I took that workshop in February with uh, Anne Riviera, who's a cup full of sunshine, and my buddy Rhett, and a bunch of other people who I met, and those are the two people who I keep in contact with. And after that class, like as soon as that first plate was poured, I was hooked. I'm like, dude, I'm, I go, this is all I'm ever going to do. And, yep. you know, I'm sure you felt that same way and everyone listening. It's like, you know, you just know it. It's like, this is all I'm like, what's photography beside this? You know, like the, just that ether, you know, Will would always tell us like, you know, Collodian's a mistress, you know, and sometimes she's real good to you. And sometimes she can be real bad, but you know, you got, <laughs> you got to go with both of them, you know? And I started shooting like 50 plates a week and just, you know, so involved with it and, you know, just kept going and going and going and going and didn't stop. So, so it sounds like you were at least familiar with the process. Do you remember what it was that, that really kind of kicked off your interest in, I I really want to learn something about that. Was it your buddy that, who was doing this type of photography or had you seen it before and had an interest? I mean, so some people get into it because of the kind of the historical aspect and, and you know, others are really just interested, interested in the, the aesthetic of it. I mean, what was it that kind of led you into it? Um, it was just the pictures of like the old landscapes, you know, like I, I mean, as a kid, you know, we saw, you see like in history books, all like the civil war pictures. And I really didn't realize that was wet plate until like I made a couple portraits. I'm like, Oh, that's what it was. That's how, you know, like I just, I really was just there like seeing the gorgeous landscapes, like the depth of field. And I'm like, and then I remember in um, a film history class or photography history class, one of the teachers saying, look, if you look at this landscape, everything is in focus from one foot out of the lens all the way to infinity. She goes, this is 35 millimeter. This is before digital. She goes, can you get that with a 35 millimeter? Wow. And I, I swear I tried for five years and I didn't get, I didn't understand that, you know, your cameras can have, you know, tilts, um, swings and, you know, it just. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start playing with that with landscape. It's like, holy cow, this is this is amazing, you know, and it, that let, landscape has always been my love with photography and portraits is always uh, my second love with photography. But like, you know, I've always just shot people, you know, fun things, but it's always, it's, it, it's, it's the spot where you're able to be out there and capture something that a million other people could capture but to be able to put your own personal eye and what you're feeling and looking at into that, it makes something completely different. What's always intrigued me, you know? Yeah. Tell, tell me about your, the very first plate that you were able to make. Did, did you do that with your friend or was that something that you did with uh, Will and kind of the introductory class? How, how did that process go? Uh, so that was with Will. Um, and, I remembered like, you know, always hearing like, you know, wet plate, you know, photography steals your soul, you know, and we were sitting out there and it was an eight second exposure and I was just sitting there. I'm like, holy cow, this is what they're talking about, you know, because like in film, 
you know, if you make shooting a movie, it's 24 frames a second. And I'm sitting there for eight seconds and doing the math. I'm like, holy cow, that's a couple of feet of film right there in this one picture. Yeah. And I sit there and then all of a sudden the fix, you know, we pulled out the KCN and the fix, you know, the picture comes to life. I'm like, that's what they're talking about. Stealing your soul. Like that, that whole watch, watching that, that image come up. And it was amazing, you know, like just how, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's what got me right there. And every time to this day, every time I, you know, I, I drop it in the fix, I'm saying like, is it going to work? And I feel that same magical feeling I did eight years ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I mean, I, 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 I've not gotten to the point I don't, and I don't know that I ever will of being so confident that I know exactly what the image is going to look like. And, and I tell folks that come in here is that, Hey, you never know what you're going to get with this process until it comes out of that fix. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even after it comes out of the fix, it's like, you know, it's going to dry up a little bit and then your varnish, but it's like, you, so it's like, even there, it's still such a delicate thing. I had a, I was doing a, uh, what was it, a, a portrait of my friends in central California. And I had been running out of varnish and I went to varnish the plate and it was an eight by 10 and there was too much alcohol or not enough alcohol. It had all evaporated out. And when I poured the plate, their face just went black. Like to varnish it. Oh <laughs> crap. Yep. And you know, like that that was about six years ago. And it just it broke my heart. I'm like, oh no, that's like you know, so like it's still a delicate process, even until like I'm until it's it's in someone's hand, that's when I I'm relieved and okay, I there's the box, take it away. Yep. And then a piece of my heart is there and I I don't I don't I really have a hard time giving my portraits to the people after I've taken their portrait. Because it's, I no longer will see that, that image, you know, it's no longer, it's something I created, but it's now on, you know, their mantle and, you know, it, it's lost to the, you know, where, wherever it goes, you know? Right. Yep. And, you know, and sometimes I'm good at writing my name on the back or putting my stickers on the back and other times I'm not, you know, and who knows a hundred years down the line, if someone sees this picture. It's like, oh, I wonder who did that. And then, you know, I get worried about, like, what's the proper way to, like, you know, because before they had union cases, they had, you know, mats to put everything in. And now it's like people are going, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, well, you can frame it, you know, like it, if you don't, I don't, you know, I can't. Do you do a uh, kind of a scan before varnishing just so you've got record of it? Uh, I'd say about 70%, 60% sometimes. Like, like if I'm in my studio at home, 100%. But when I'm on the road, uh, I don't ever see them again. Like I'm lucky if I have time to get a, an actual iPhone picture of them. Right. Because like there, I will, uh, I'll do like 55 plates in about four and a half, five hours. And then about an hour of varnishing for all of them. Wow. What, what size plates for that many? Five by seven. Five by sevens. That's amazing. I mean, that that is having your workflow down there to crank yeah, through that many. It's myself and my assistant Ben, and he's just uh, you know running through the plates, uh, you know, rinsing them out, and making keeping people moving to the chairs when we're doing these uh, parties and events. Right. Um, but it it it's I don't know it that that's another reason why I think I. I you know, I guess this month I've been looking like what is really, you know, what moves me with photography. And I think that's kind of like the landscapes and the art side of it are more, and not, not that portraits not art, but like, you know, to do the art for yourself. And I think that's why I love landscapes so much because it's usually, you know, for me or someone else or whatever, but it's not like a rushed thing. It's more slow, you know? Yeah. What got you into wet plate work? Uh, so my uh, my father is a big Civil War scholar, right? And um, he has this huge library at his house in Indiana. We would go there uh, during the holidays and, and probably back in, you know, 2015, 
or so, uh, I just got to looking through these old books of Civil War pictures and was yeah. just intrigued with, you know, how, how in the world did they do this back then? I mean, I, I, I had seen tintypes, but I didn't really think about well, what all was involved with this. I mean, if you, if you go see a, you know, a battlefield photograph, um, what, how, how did they even do that? So it just kind of, that historical aspect kind of drove me into the process and doing a bunch of research and, you know, probably like everybody else today, watching a lot of YouTube videos and those kind of things. And I just took it in my mind that, Hey, you know what? I can, I can figure this out how to do this. So, yeah, it's, it's an amazing little thing we do. You know, I really, I feel blessed every day to think, you know, like, wow, I'm, you know, like, I feel like we're able to hold on to that history, you know, like without, you know, like, because before that, like, you know, you're shooting digital cameras and, or film cameras, but even the, I think everything was lost in the digital world, really. Yeah. Like where it's, there's such a separation. I mean, and um, don't get me wrong. People who are digital photographers are amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like they are great photographers and they can do stuff we can't do. Exactly. You know, but not, like not it's a that at all, for sure. No, no, it's just it's just such a weird, like what we do is such a weird thing that we would, you know, be covered in silver nitrate all the time, like you know, be 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 breathing in fumes that we don't, you know, it, it's one of those love. It's a it, it's a it's a labor of love, really. You know, like for everyone, like whatever media photography you're doing, or art or whatever, like it's part of expressing yourself into that piece of art so so do you have a maybe a favorite photo or series that you've taken yes so um i went out with uh, chris burkhard and the job was for travel lodge and the national parks and we it was kind of a thing of like following ansel adams footsteps and we were um shooting out at canyon de Chelly on the navajo lands and then it was it was really cool because like my buddy Milo Fowler he was there and he's Dene and Chris and his whole crew was there and you know they're doing their whole digital shoot and I'm just sitting there making wet plates and everyone just stopped you know they're all like there's a whole production company and I'm just doing wet plates and everyone's like oh my gosh we're gonna this is cool and then we we got the whole production done so b- being there at Spider Rock in Canyon de Chelly and watching the sunrise on one of the Navajo's most sacred sites was just amazing. Like it just watching that sun just peek over the, the mountains. And this is where, um, is Curtis, you know, where Curtis it, was at, right? Well, yes. Yes. Um, it was Curtis was there. Ansel Adams was there. Um, but this is also where like, um, the cavalry chased the Navajo people into this canyon and they, they were uh, starving them out of water. Hmm. And these people, these the people had to like tie ropes and crawl down to the river. And one of the guides there said that they actually made a human chain and held each other's hands and got down to get to the water and then, you know, bucketed it back up to everyone else on top of the mountain. Wow. And, but anyway, at, at that moment, like the, there's these, an, in the, in the White House ruins, those are all Anastasi ruins. And it's, you know, 10,000 year old ruins. And the feelings there are so amazing, you know, like just such a spiritual place. And it's such a, like, you can just feel like the history there. You can feel the generations before there. And it's, I remember just taking this portrait. And I'm like, man, like 10,000 years ago, these people who, you know, all they would do is their traditional ways and, you know, let's eat, let's, you know, hunt, let's pray. And that, that's all they did. And well, I don't know. I'm just saying that, sorry, that's kind of, you know, they'd live their lives there right, right. without what any, mo- you know, anything modern that we know, and just being there to be able to take a portrait with a process that's 150 years old was just amazing. You know, like it, it was. And then from there, after that shoot, uh, 
two days later, I was up in Yosemite um, at Will Dunaway's house, and I made what, like, I made some of my most favorite wet plates of Yosemite, and also the like, just that whole. So that whole week was just an encompassing four days of national park, uh, four different national parks in one week. Wow! And it was just a a world a whirlwind trip. You know, it's one of those like being on the road and shooting and then doing portraits when I got home, you know? So it's like, you know, I mean, it's, I, I'll do like, you know, sometimes one, sometimes two, three, four, five portraits a week, different sessions. And, you know, just all trying to be all over the place, you know? And sometimes I feel too, you know, like the balance isn't quite there. It's like not enough time to, you know, go out and, you know, not, you know what I'm saying? Like just when you're on working yeah. constantly, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, to me, it sounds like you prefer to be in that natural setting and trying to capture that, that majesty and beauty that's in the land. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. But, but then also when I'm, when I'm working in, in, in studio or in the land doing a portrait, it's the same way. Like it, it's a more microcosmic or cosm of the, por- you know, that, that one person is just as special as that grand mountain or that you know famous person or whatever everyone i shoot i feel is that magic moment at that time yeah you know every anytime i'm with my camera you know it's it's because it's not it's it's an extension of me you know like i kind of have a joke when people are walking by and they walk by with a mirrorless camera i'm like hey i got a mirrorless camera and they're like what (laughs) and i open up the back i'm like see that's an original mirrorless you know and they like they're like oh you're that's not that funny. You're kind of weird. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm weird in my own head, you know, and walk away to the next person. But then, it, but it's actually just a, a a spark because then they're like, oh, wow, that's neat. I've never seen a, you know, a camera like that before. Or like, that's a weird camera, you know? And anyway. So speaking of sitters, what, what is your kind of typical interaction look like with your sitters when you have them in your studio? So my, my studio is my garage. And I've turned it into like a, a pretty nice studio. Um, they they come in, and I have my darkroom bus outside, which is my darkroom. And if they want to, they can come in. We pour the plate. I sit them down, uh, make an exposure if it's a in studio or out in the courtyard for natural light studio. And then they they watch the the everything come to life, and then you know you we'll sit for about like an hour with them and make a couple plates sometime depending on how many they want to buy. And then I'll tell them to go get some coffee or go get lunch and let the plates dry and varnish them. And then they get them. Yeah. To to me, that's probably one of my favorite parts of the process is just being able to share that creation of that image with somebody that that's never seen it before. And, And it's, if you haven't seen it, it, it is somewhat magical, right? To think that the only technology that's involved with that is, is really chemistry and light, right? Yeah, it, it's really interesting, too, because, like, you know, when, when you get the, when you pour the clothing on that plate, the bromides, when they react with that silver nitrate, it's actually creating a silver crystal. So that light is being, we're using crystals to capture, you know, that light and the, so it's even a more of a organic feel, you know, like, or cosmic feel, like you said, like a, a something special. You know what I'm saying though? It, it's such a, it, there, there's so much going on that I barely even understand. Like, you know, you listen to like Ulsterman talk about it and it's like, you know, he gets all, you know, like deep into it. And that, it, it's just amazing just how much chemistry and science that we barely understand. And you know, I mean, I, don't, I, I still trip out when people are like, how do they get that 150 years ago? I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's, a <laughs> it's like the guy that stumbled onto this. It's like, did he really know what was going on or did he just get lucky? You know? Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting too. Cause like you look at the developer we use and that's what they were using in the revolutionary war for hidden messages. You know, they'd put like um, lemon juice on the iron and they would, it would show itself, you know, or, um, acidic acid on it and it would open, you know, it would, things would be shown. And that's, I think how they figured out that let's try this to develop something. Yeah. 
you, you mentioned your your studio is in your garage. You've got a. Uh, it sounds like your dark room is actually mobile, right? It's uh, yeah. It's in a van. So so tell a little bit about that. I mean, how does that's got to be handy whenever you're shooting landscapes and on location. And I know that you know one of the things that I hate the most is trying to load up everything that I need to go to somewhere else to shoot outside of my studio and um, being able to have something mobile like that would be fantastic. Yeah. So um, when Luther moved to um, Connecticut, I bought his bus from him and you know, he, he sold it to me and this is what he was making his 24 by 36 inch plates. And I mean, it's, it's a shuttle bus that has the back, there's two bunk beds in it, two seats, and the rest is all a dark room. And, you know, it, I'm in it every day. The problem is, like, driving, it gets eight miles to the gallon. <laughs> so it, yeah. it it has to be a special purpose for me to drive that somewhere. Right. Um, or, you know, and it, it's great because, you know, I get the best night's sleeps ever in that in the bus because of, you know, just the... I don't know if it's the ether in there or whatever, but, it you know, I've always been... It's a very comfortable bus to ride and, you know, but it, it gets scary when it gets windy and I'm out like on the 15 freeway and it's, you know, 60 mile an hour winds. It's, it's a, it can be very, you know, it's a very scary, you know, bus to drive sometimes, but it's, it's worth it. And I love it. And I, I love the smell of ether. I, I don't know what it is about it. I mean, yeah. I know some people that that's like a huge turnoff. I have folks that come back into the dark room and I typically don't have a, like a ventilation fan that's running, but if, if I can kind of sense that they're a little sensitive to it, then I'll, I'll kick that fan on. But myself just for normal work in the dark room, I, I love the smell of that. I love the, the lavender and, and the varnish, the Sandorak yeah. varnish that I use. I mean, just, it just, it's very relaxing. <laughs> yes it is yes it is i i mean it last october i had a job where my i was using one of the eskimo tents and i did uh made 45 plates and the last three plates i had it wasn't venting very well my fan wasn't it broke and i got so sick i was just like man this ether is i can't i gotta stop and people still wanted pictures I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, and that was like the first time, like I had to turn people away and just stop because it was, you know, and then I went and bought two more fans to make sure I never broke a fan again. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's about, it's about the redundancy, you know, like everything you have to have, like when I'm on the road, like my whole minivan is completely full of stuff. Like, even if I don't need it, I'm still bringing like, you know, powdered sandrack just in case to make, I need to make more varnish in case a bottle breaks. Cause you never know. Like, um, I don't know if you've read, uh, Henry Jackson's, uh, book time exposure. I have not. Um, oh, you got to read it. It's a, it's an amazing book, but what he talks about in there is they went on a trip and they went all, he was starting to use dry, like the dry plate process before it was like a, a pre-dry plate. And they didn't develop anything. And when he came home, everything was ruined. And that entire summer, nothing worked. And he goes, if I would have just had my wet plate gear, I would have known, well, you know, that it was working. Right. He, he also lost, like, a bunch of plates that fell off the back of one of his donkeys once. And all the glass plates shattered. Sounds like my but, kind of luck. I'll have to uh, check that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... I would highly recommend that book to anyone who is in this because this guy, you know, he, he lived to be almost, I think he was 95 when he died in 1940s. And, you know, he was like the landscape guy, you know, he was out there and also a portrait photographer. He was back in the day, he was making amazing amounts of money doing portraits, you know? So he, it, it's always, uh, you know, that's kind of like that. What I was talking about earlier, that the, to look back, like what, what worked then, it's still going to work today, you know? Right. With the, with, with your studio being in your garage, do you do much natural light photography or do you still use uh, strobes or other constant light sources? Um, so I use a uh, Speedatron 48 OCs. Okay. Um, and I use three lights, a hair key fill. Um, and then sometimes I'll just like, I use a beauty dish, um, and then uh, I have a three foot 
softbox or you know the just the dishes and i also have a five foot by five foot softbox i'll use sometimes to make it more to make actual soft likes a beauty dish is not soft um and then when i when i'm in the courtyard i have my easy up that i'll pop up or you know just set up a couple scrims put people by trees whatever yep um but you know i it, it's it, it's really much what they want, you know. Like a lot of people really love the the studio look. A lot of people really love the natural light look. It it a lot of times with you know women, I'll I'll use natural light. That's something Will would always like yell at me at, like or not yell, but go like, man, these studio things ugly. It's not real light. God loves the light, and that's the light we use. God's light, you know. Don't. <laughs> Don't bother him. And I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm working at midnight, you know, I'm working at two yeah. in the morning at like, I can't be, you know, only working at that time. And he, you know, he, but that, sorry, I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would love to have access to natural light all the time. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, my studio is at my house. It's in my basement. So I'm, I'm kind of forced into having to figure out the light sources right and, and i've moved along from different things over the years i'm, I'm using a couple of speedotrons uh, myself um but yeah the, the aesthetic from from natural light it, it's hard to beat that yeah i mean but then also too like the the speed like the the strobes give such good contrast that it's hard you know you can see it in the really old like i have a lot of old ambro types and they um the amount of contrast in them, I'd look at them like, man, I could, I've never gotten a picture that looks that good, you know? And just, you know, cause it, they, they were on such a totally different level. They, they were like having five people working. It wasn't like, well, we're just like, Hey, you yeah. know, let me, I'm this weird artist and, you know, in my garage or, you know, in my basement or in my studio, wherever they, they actually had like a chemist working who was making sure the silver was perfect. Every shot, the retoucher, the photographer, you know, like it, it, it's a lot, it was a lot different and they were doing so much work back then. Let's, let's switch over and talk about your photographic gear. So concerning wet plate, uh, what, what kind of gear did you start out with versus maybe what you use today? Have you, you know, have you went through kind of an upgrade process from where you started or what's that okay. path been? So photog- so here, here's a fun story. The, uh, the portrait studio I worked at in Laguna beach, um, it was, you know, we, we were doing all portraits and my, my, it was Don Romero and his son, Jay. And my buddy Jay, who's like one of my best friends, he decided like to move up to Oregon and his digital camera broke. And I had just upgraded a digital camera. And this is the same time after Tim had dropped off stuff. And he's like, I'm like, I need a, I need a, a good camera. I need a, like a, a camera to do wet plate with that's not an eight by 10 because that's too big yep for starting off for sure for starting off yeah and like he's like i mean if you want to start off with an eight by 10 go ahead you know like i mean but he he, he told me like i really need a camera i'm like okay well i'll trade you my d600 with uh two lenses and two flashes for this kodak 2d you have it's a five by seven and his mom had actually found that in a, um, it was from a New York studio from the forties. And it, you know, this thing still has original bellows. Right. And, and it, I don't know how old it, you know, it is, it could have been 20, you know, like I, I tell everyone it's 1909. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so, so but, I, it sounds like, I mean, I've got a, a, a Eastman 2D that I use. That's my typical shooter, right? Mm-hmm. And from what I've been able to find out, it's an, it's an eight by 10 and they only made that model from about 1912 until about 1920. So, you know, I always say it's, it's at least a hundred year old camera. Yes. And I, I, uh, thank you. That's good to know that that's that year. You know, I've always, um, but the, uh, on the, uh, the lenses I have, um, I still use that camera to this day. I had a wet plate back made for it, and that's my go-to everyday camera. Um, I have the lens I use today at pretty much every shoot is a Voigtlander 4A. Okay. 
And then I just actually, I was at a, a pop-up, you know, a, it was a Dana, it was called the redo festival. And some guy walked up to me and sold me a Dalmeyer 4d for 300 bucks. Wow. He's like, Hey, you want to buy this lens? It looks just like the lens you have on your camera. I'm like, yep, let's do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. And then I have a 1860s, uh, Jamin lot that will sold me. And th- those are my three lenses I use. Um, for portraiture and then landscape i have um a lot of different lenses i have my um eight by ten williams i have my uh like some lenses from paris you know like i don't even know what they are it's like you know swiss lens like just a bunch of little rapid rec linears yeah and you know i love those and I'll, i'll even i use those in portraiture work too when there's a lot of people um, they're great lenses. Um, are there are there any upgrades that you've got in mind? I mean, um, are you, you know, I look at my camera and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is a hundred year old camera, and I'm sure it's it's probably a little shaky, it's a little loose, right? And if mm-hmm. I was to invest in something new, I could probably spot on focus and you know just have much more in the way of adjustment, but I don't know. There's just something about that camera. I, I love it just because it's old, you know? <laughs> well, I, I have an old stereo camera that, um, I bought from Will years, years ago. I, it was kind of cool. Like, so the week before, uh, the whole COVID thing happened, I stopped by, um, Cassandra's CSA, you know, cat down her studio in old town, San Diego. And me and my boys, we'd been camping all week. And, she made a stereograph of us. And I looked at that going, holy cow, this is like the coolest camera ever. You know, this is the coolest image. Like this image, like it was like me and my boys and my wife and my daughter, we'd all just stare at it for days. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I called up Will, I go, Hey, I know you have that stereoscope for sale. And he's like, yeah, like sure here, you know, and you know, it took me a couple months to pay it off. Cause he, he, he was the type of guy he's like, Hey, like, you know, just, pay me monthly, you know, like, so like, it was like, okay, here's a hundred bucks a month, you know, and we did that. And it turned out that was Rob Gibson's old camera. And, you know, like it, that, see, that's what I love about this world. We're, there's so few of us and everyone is so intertwined and connected, you know, like you, we just like the, a lens you have might been like, you know, someone else's lens they were shooting on 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone, like we're all, there's so few of us that we're all connected and we're all, I think that's what I love about this process so much is, you know, the people who are into it are into it for, I think the same reasons or like they have the same feelings. And that's what keeps us all like this familiar family, you know, brother, sister type, you know, feel to this work, you know, and, that's kind of what I love about it, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, that was really one of the things that kind of drove me to create this, this podcast was just a way that we could actually learn more about the folks behind the camera and, you know, hey, this is this is what they're doing. This These are things that they've struggled with in the past. Hey, I had that same problem. You know, maybe I reach yeah. out to that person and find out what they did to, uh, you know, surmount that. So, um agree you know it's it it is a small community you know we we always or or i always hear that you know there's about a a thousand people or so worldwide that are actually doing this process and part of me wants to say well is there really even that many i mean people that are actually doing this on a somewhat regular basis i got to think it's probably less than that but i it'd be nice for for somebody to to do a a poll you know on one of these uh, Facebook communities or something that says, okay, you know, how many plates are you shooting, uh, you know, a month or a year, you know, does, is there some classification of a regular versus a, Hey, I took a workshop and, you know, did a couple of plates and that was it kind of thing. Yeah. And it, one of the questions, like with what you just said there, like how many you do a year? Like I, I called up Uline because every box or every image I make goes into a box. I called up Uline. I'm like, I asked him, how many boxes did I order this year? And I've actually gone through 950 boxes this year. Wow. (laughs) 
And I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to sound weird about that, but it blew my mind. I'm like, I did not, you know, it's. That's, that's insane. It, yeah. Especially it, for the last few years. I mean, COVID really kind of put the brakes on being around folks and, and uh, allowing people to get out and, and do this kind of things. Cause you know, you're, you're in people's faces when you're taking their portraits. And so to still be shooting yeah. that number of plates is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. And it, it was like during COVID, like two years ago in COVID, like I do every year I do Viva Las Vegas, which is a big rockabilly uh, music festival, car festival. And during COVID, like we went there and everyone was masked up and it was a very light, you know, people from Europe weren't there and, but everyone was in masks. Everyone was far apart, you know, and, that was the first time getting back. I'm like, Hey, I'm shooting again after a year of not shooting. And it was just like, it was great. Let's get back into this, you know? And that whole feeling of like, not, not being around people. I missed that so much, you know, just and getting back into that. That was that first big job after COVID and, you know, I'm getting ready for that one again. And, april and it's you know if you can if you're ever out there into that type of music it's a great festival you know so i guess just to swing us back around i mean if, if you had the chance to do an upgrade on your main shooting oh. rig, would you do it or not i mean i feel like i'm at the point where i have what i need um my main rig no i'll never i'm, I'm happy with it you know like yeah. if it i i just actually got my son a 3d printer and I've been thinking like, what can I print with this for wet plate? And I've been, uh, I've been working on making a good print of Robert's eight by 10 and five by seven print, you know, his plate holders, because my thought was, you know, I have a wet plate back with, but if that ever breaks, I can have the glass, this, the original five by seven back, you know, use that back, and, you know what I'm saying? Just have a backup, you know, sure. like, and for me, it's all about just having multiple backups because, you know, you never know. I, I've had times when I dropped a rapid rectilinear lens and I was like, oh my gosh, what if that was like my good lens, you know? <laughs> like, um, I mean, a big thing I've been doing a lot or trying to do is shoot my 16 by 16 camera for landscapes, but it's, it's a chore because it takes three gallons of silver, you know? Wow. Yep. And like that, that, that's the hard part I have, you know, like it's just getting that thing ready for portraiture and that, that's my big upgrade. But then, you know, buying a pet's full for that is ridiculous, oh, yeah. you know, like, um, I, but yeah, I, I, I think that boat. I, I spent some time during COVID trying to build a, uh, a 24 inch by 24 inch camera. That's got about a, a one meter extension on it. Oh. And, um, I've got the camera all ready to go and and now I need to find a lens, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um yeah, like I a couple um, I'd say about a year ago, like Tree Tran and I went out and we're shooting twenty by twenty fours um with some models that I know and and they were like just shooting that big, it's it, it it's hard, you know, like to be able to to move it. it it's kind of clumsy ish, you know, like where everything else is so, you know, you have the muscle memory, but when you start doing a plate that big, it's like, wow, this yeah. is, you know, like, you know, pouring 500 mils of clothing onto a plate is kind of interesting, you know? Right. Right. Yep. There's but, uh, 80 bucks of collodion that you're pouring out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Don't spill it, you know, but let's, uh, let's switch, uh, around to some, some personal goals. Um, you know, if, if you had the chance to photograph anyone that's alive today, who would it be? You know, I've been thinking about that for the last week since you hit, you know, sent me what we're going to talk about. And man, it, it's hard because I've, I've shot. So he, last week I shot um, or last month I shot Dick Metz, who's a 95 year old surfer who because of his I was listening to the Surf Splendor podcast and, you know, we, they, he was on there and 
I listened to him. Like, this guy is so amazing. Like, I got to go take his portrait. And I took his portrait and he, his journeys actually, when he came home from a three-year travel around the earth, uh, his friend Bruce Brown decided to make the endless summer. And it's crazy because that was um, one of the films I saw as a kid that wanted me to get into surf photography. <laughs> wow. And then I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm shooting the guy who, who in a way got me into photography without knowing about it, you know? And, and he was the, you know, if you can ever listen to that podcast, it's like, like, or this Dick Metz's life, it's pretty interesting. Um, like I've shot, like, there's a lot of people I've shot where like, I'm like, how did I ever, how was I ever able to shoot that person? You know, like, and it just, it, it they always just pop up and I don't want to. I never want to say like who is the one person I'd want to shoot because everyone in front of my camera is that person I want to shoot at that moment. Yeah. You know, like it, it, to me, whether you're like the most famous person on earth or just a, a dude on the street, it doesn't matter to me. I want my, my goal is to make that person look their best. Yep. And if, and I tell everyone, like, Hey, if, right when they look at the picture, I go, if you don't like this, we'll reshoot it. You know, like I don't want you walking away, not happy. I don't want people knowing like, hey, like looking their best. And sometimes I fell at making that picture and then we'll reshoot and they're happy or, you know, but I, so yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot. And um, I do have some gigs I'm working on right now that if they do, if you see them come through this year, then you'll know that that was one of the people I really wanted to shoot. Yeah. But um, it's kind of, we're in the, I'm talking to their agents right now and it's very much, you know, kind of, you know, in the, in the talking stages right now. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. When I wrote this question and, and I've asked a couple of people this now, I, I'm trying to think about who it would be for me. And, and, and honestly, you know, as I look back at all of the, you know, hundreds of photos that I've taken, some of the best ones, the ones that I just think are the most amazing are complete strangers. You know, there, yeah. there are people that don't have celebrity at all associated with them, but we were able to do something special. So, yes. And like when you're on set and it's, you know, a big set and there's like, you know, lots of people running around and you're working with someone who is like, it, it it kind of makes me want to wish like, Hey, I wish I could just take that person and just be like more intimate. You know what I mean? Like just let's be somewhere smaller, you know? Sure. Yeah. Let, let's like, let's not have like the hundred people running around or the 50 people or the 10 people or, you know, like I, I like, I mean, and that's one of the hard parts too with doing pop-ups. Like there's so many people like watching what you're doing because they're enthralled by it. I mean, you, you being in California, I mean, you have access to, the celebrity side of, of our lifestyle. Right. And, and you definitely have access to those types of people, but, but still, I mean, to, to put that, that same level of priority on anybody that comes to your studio and sits down in the chair. Um, I, I think it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, everyone needs to be, everyone needs to feel special uh, whenever they get to be a sitter for this process in, in my mind, because there are so Again, so few of us that are doing it now uh, that it's just not something that the the typical person has access to today. Yeah. So kind of tell me, is there an idea either for a particular plate or a series uh, that you've got in mind that maybe you haven't had time to shoot yet? I mean, what's what's kind of on your creative agenda? Okay, so um, I after um, shooting Dick last month, I was... You know, I, I was sitting there just thinking, like, I really want to, like, you know, get into the, like, interesting people. Like, people who've done, like, things that no, like, when you'd walk by, you'd have no idea who they are. Okay. And um, I have a couple of friends that I've already contacted with, you know, and done, port, you know, some portraits for this book as well. And what it is is, like, a, I had a buddy whose dad built... Um, 180 foot tall ship and they lived, they lived on it for 10 years and then they sold it. And now they were, um, he bought a 1909 Buick racer. Um, and my buddy Dennis raced from Mexico to Canada in this 1909 Buick. 
like you know so like i'm kind of i wanted to do more like a, a series of like just just normal people who've done extraordinary things or weird things that you know you would never look at that person and go hey that guy's like you know some some you know i mean someone oh, yeah. different you know That's and exactly what you're talking about <laughs> or yeah or like you know like who's this this old guy who you know like i had a a neighbor he died during covid and he was 99 years old and i kept asking him hey let me do your portrait you know cuz he was a world war 2 uh bomber pilot in the pacific and he would never let me do his portrait he's like I, no one wants to see me old and when i die i die you know and I'm like, no, but I want to take your portrait. And after he passed, I felt really like sad, you know, because like I never got his portrait. My, my grandma, her portrait is one of my prized possessions of portraiture, of photography, because I shot it three months before she died. Um, and, you know, she just, you know, she had Alzheimer's at the time and was just, you know, barely holding on. And, you know, like th th those are the types of things for me, like I just want to be able to create more things that people can hold on, like, and have hundreds of years from now. Right. You know, and it's something interesting. I was actually listening to um, your first podcast with Shane and you guys were talking about like f finding fun things in um, the union cases. And uh, my, yes. <laughs> my second... My second union case I opened up, there's, there was a receipt in it for 35 apple trees. <laughs> and it was dated 1862. Wow. And, you know, like, it, it, to me, that was just like, I'm like, holy cow. Like, when I saw that one, I was like, this is neat. You know, like, and it, I didn't really ever think about, like, hey, who, who could this guy be? I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's like an antique of an antique. Yeah. Yep. But what what you were talking about, like, hey, I could possibly find who his descendants are. Last year, I was looking in um, Tazewell, Virginia, where my grandfather was from. And I found on eBay, I bought a portrait. And it was actually my, my grandpa's cousins. Okay. And it's a an 8x10 album in print. I, I think it's pretty amazing that uh, when someone of that's alive today is able to go back more than about three or four generations and, and find those photos. I, I kind of got into genealogy yeah. here over the last few years and, and it's amazing how much information is lost. You know, once you go back more than, you know, your second great grandparents or whatever, you have no idea who those people were, what they look like, uh, anything about them. And, um, to be able to find, photos that actually have your family on them. I mean, I, I think that's, it's uh, yeah. definitely a treasure, right? Well, and it's interesting too, how like, how closely related, you know, like, you know, people like, you know, we're all related, whatever, but like 10, like I find some people I know, like we can trace back 10 generations. Like, oh, we're, we're like fifth cousins or, you know, third, co you know what I'm saying? Like, and then I have other people like, oh, I'm not related to you at all. You know, like when you're hunting that genealogy stuff down and yeah. I don't know. I think just to go back to your, your neighbor that was the uh, World War II veteran, I mean, I, I think the thing that a, a lot of people don't realize is they have a story that's very unique, right? Yeah. And and I say this because I was able to, to set up at a, a VFW post here a few years ago and actually take some shots of some World War II veterans. And to be honest, taking the photographs for me was almost secondary. It was sitting down with them and, and hearing their story, right? Listening to yeah. their experiences. Uh, just, just amazing that, um, they were, they were normal everyday people, but they were put into these extraordinary circumstances. And, um, man, yeah. I, those are the folks we need to go out and, and get their stories, capture those images. And, and now you're having to like find the Korean War guys because they're now in their 90s. And if you find any World War II that left, they're, you know, in their late 90s, you know, yeah. early hundreds. But like, it's kind of interesting because like when we were kids in the 80s, 90s, it's like the the World War II vets were 60s, 70s, you know, right? 80s for the older guys. But, you know, now it's like, 
you know, time just keeps marching. And I think that's, you know, back, back to uh, Jackson's book, he talked a lot about that in his book, like, you know, when he was one of the last Civil War veterans alive. Now, you, you had, you asked me a question earlier, like, what would be, like, my dream, like, person, or I kind of think, like, my dream project. Okay. That's and fair. I hope someone does this, because, and I would love to do it, but if someone does, like, I hope you do it. But what it is, is to actually make a, a landscape in every national park and then create a book out of it. And there, there's, you know, there's 52 parks and, and, or in the continental United States, you know what I mean? Like you can't get out to Guam I don't, or not Guam. Oh, yeah. I think it is Guam. There's, there's a, a couple park. of them out there that are kind of tough. I know there's at least one or two in Alaska that you got to actually fly into. You can't even get there by road. Yeah. So. And I, I thought about this years ago to do that. And I just, it's, you know, like, like Nash, you know, um, Glacier National Park right by you. That's like a, be- those lakes up there are beautiful, you know, like the um there's some, there's that that whole route you can do and hit every single one but it's like such a you know that's like a four-month project to do every single one so, sounds like it's ripe for the team <laughs> <laughs> yes it is i hope someone can do it you know like if you do give me credit you know <laughs> anyway just joking no um i think you're the guy conrad i mean I could do it. Yeah. Whenever you, whenever you stop by uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, it's only uh, 45 minutes away from my house. So please uh, stop by. <laughs> I will. I mean, last time I was in Fort Collins was in the 90s. So it was a while back. Yeah. As we're, we're kind of nearing towards the end here, who are, are some of those photographers that are around today that, or, or maybe they're not, you know, that you kind of look up to that have been mentors? Uh, you know, being able to work with Will uh, that lived an hour away from you whenever he was around. I mean, what a what a, an amazing resource for you to have access to. Um, yeah. Who, who are some of the folks that inspire your work today? Well, I mean, you know, Will, like, even when Will moved up to Yosemite, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, like Will, um, Bob Zabo is amazing. Luther's rad. Um, I have... You know, my first photography mentors, uh, Don and Jay Romero, were amazing. Um, then I had, like, I, I did a lot of work with my buddy Kwong Lee. He was one of those guys that just, like, totally blew my mind. Like, we'd be on set and be like, and this is what I was assisting for him. You know, just see, like, I, I don't know. Um, but a lot of the people I really, like, beside mentors, but just really look into, like, their photography, who I think pushed me landscape-wise, would, would be like Wynn Bullock. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. No. Nope. Um, yeah, he's, his, he was like 50s and he started getting some really amazing color work, but his black and white stuff is just amazing. Um, there's also like a, for anyone out there, like there's a book you can get on Amazon called Victorian Giants and the Birth of Art Photography. Interesting. Okay. And you know, and that, that that's a good one to like just kind of like read and just look at people's portraits like and see like because that, that's a lot of times what i'm trying to do and i feel like i fell at is like get more into like the renaissance portraiture because like those guys really studied you know you know and that that's who the guys 150 years ago were studying was all the you know older portraits that were paintings right yep um you know and like you know why you know, why, why use Rembrandt lighting? Why, why use, you know, flat lighting? Why, what, what, what's the point of the lighting you're using? You know, like why, you know, what, why did I use a Speedatron with a 480C? You know, I do that because I can shoot, you know, at a 5.6 to an F8, you know, like it, and get more depth, you know, but on an 8x10, I still only have like a couple millimeters, you know, with that same light. Like, what's the point? Like, why, why get stuck? you know, just making a picture when you can push it a little bit more. And that's kind of where I'm at right now is how do I continue to push my work further? You know, that I'm not just trying to understand the chemicals, but then actually creating new art to be able to, you know, be better, you know, or push, push this beyond what I did, you know, the week before. Right. I love to hear what has inspired other folks just because, um, those can be inspirations to more people, right? 
Yes. Um, those different uh, artists that are out there. What, um, what kind of advice do you have for the folks that are listening to this that, you know, are maybe, maybe struggling with, with their plates. Maybe they're just getting started. Um, you know, maybe they've been doing it for a while and they're just kind of stuck in a rut, you know, they're doing the same thing. What, what kind of advice do you have for those folks? So there's times when I feel like I'm stuck in a rut, you know, and every time like I do, I stop, sit back, reach out to someone I know, you know, change, like change one thing at a time. Don't, don't try to, you know, like think everything's something that it isn't just do, you know, like listen to what people have to say who've been doing this for a while. Like if you're on a Facebook forum and they say, Hey, clean your silver, you know, a lot of times that that's the main thing that's really wrong, you know, or it could be a light leak or whatever it is, but just don't stop. Just keep going, keep moving. Like, you know, maybe you just need a like a different, maybe you mess something up in your chemistry and you just need to start over, you know, don't be afraid sure. to start over, you know, like don't, you know, like don't, don't um, think that that batch of silver is the, you know, the most precious thing. Like I have a lot of silver. I've actually taken silver nitrate and all my cotton balls and convert it into powdered silver with copper, you know, because I know that that, you know, if that bath was so polluted, I couldn't fix it. And it had ruined my plates for like a couple months. And instead of, you know, I look at all the time I lost, you know, trying to save a hundred dollar bath, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it sounds like, you know, I feel, I'm, I'm not trying to be like, you know, whatever, $100 bath, but like the, but the, the amount of time that you, people could be stuck on a problem if they just like step back and realize that like you need to look at a different, at a different angle, you know, and maybe you can fix it. And also too, like, you know, I, I'm teaching a guy a workshop. He called me up uh, last week saying, Hey, let's do a workshop. And I said, sure, let's do it you know, reach out to people who have been out there longer. I mean, we've all, we've all been there and everyone in, that I've met in this, in this circle has been very helpful, you know, like, or, or, or try, you know, like people, pe I think people are very generous here. It's not like a cutthroat, you know, mechanic thing where everyone or construction thing where everyone's like out to get everyone else. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like everyone here, like we, you know, I think a more opened group of people, you know? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that, that's, that's been my typical experience. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's others that maybe have not had that experience, but, uh, I, I think there's always, there's people out there that are, that are willing to help. If you, yeah. you just reach out, there'll be, there'll be someone that will give you some guidance. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and not everyone's going to, you know, you're not going to rub everyone the right way. They're not going to rub you the right way, but you'll always find someone there who is, who might be the same cloth, you know what I'm saying? Like, or the same, who you get along with better, who can help you. You know what I mean? Like, it's all, I, I don't know that, that sounds kind of stupid. No, I mean, it, I, different personalities got to mesh with, with different folks, right? And, and yes. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, you, you asked about like any advice for people. I would say don't get stuck on thinking you need like the biggest, most amazing lens or the, the camera. Like that, that's not, that's not you and your photography, you know, find um, like you can make this on Holgos. You can do this on any kind of box camera. Like you to start out, just get there and start going, you know, like, you know, we're, we're lucky enough now where we have like, um, Brian at UVP who will make you a collodion. You know, if you want to start, just start. You know, it's not like where you're mixing all the chem the collodions and everything up by hand and needing to know how to do that right away. Just do it. You know, that's that's great advice. Don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Just just talk. Just just like figure out. You know, just do it. You know, there's there shouldn't be anything stopping anybody. You know, just. I mean, if, if I listened to everyone who ever said, don't do something, you know, I'd be stuck. You know, I'd, I'd still be like working a, a nine to five job, you know, or doing construction or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, like, but I, that art pushed and pushed and 
like the, 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 the real thing with wet play is you have to put the hours, you know, like I look at the mistakes I was making the first two years and that when we all look back, like, Oh my gosh, we all made those same mistakes, you know? Yep. And I think it, it comes down to practice for sure. I mean, yeah. you, you can't, uh, expect to shoot five plates and, and have it mastered by the time you get to the end of it. Right. No. And, and that's the thing, like it, it's, uh, you know, I think it takes like that whole 10,000 hour thing. Like it really, you know, like when I was starting out, I, so, okay. The advice I have for somebody who is starting out is go shoot, <laughs> make as many plates as you can yep. and just keep going. And if you're stuck, ask somebody, and just keep going. Don't stop. Like, this is something that down the line, you know, you'll look back and go, okay, that was a little mistake. I get it now. You know, like there, I have a lot of times now where I look at plates and like, I want to go, okay, I want to make the perfect plate, the perfect plate, the perfect plate. And then all my clients are going like, I want them to be messy and junky. Like I, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going like, yeah. I'm like, let's reshoot that. There's like a little bit of, you know, developer mark right there. I'm like, yeah. And they want to see that though, because to them, that's what wet plate is. Right. So then I, I decided going, okay, I'm going to make the plate how it, how it is. And then it's going to be very, you know, more fluid. You know, if I, you know, like move my hand, my wrist a little ways and the developer moves the wrong way, whatever, you know, but you know, there comes a point where you work up to that point and then it's like, okay, now I can do what I want more for art's sake, you know? Right, right. Nope. I love it. Yeah. Okay, Conrad, uh, how do people that want to see your work get a hold of you? You know, what's the best way? Can, it sounds like you're still doing portraits. Uh, do you have a way that uh, they can reach out to you and check out your work and maybe uh, get set up to come to your studio? Okay, so to get a hold of me, um, it's either Instagram or my website, and both of them are Conrad Film. Um, also, starting that whole TikTok thing and you know, but that's pretty in the infancy right now. Are you, are you and, making daily TikToks? No, oh, no, I'm making like monthly. I should be, <laughs> but it's, I had the hardest time doing reels on Instagram. And, you know, there's some people out there that are amazing at it. But no, it, it's all pretty much just Instagram and my website. Great. Well, Conrad, thanks for uh, being a guest on the uh, podcast. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to, uh, join up with me here and just, and just have a conversation. And uh, again, hopefully this uh, has some meaning to some folks that are, that are out there looking for some inspiration or maybe they'll reach out to you and, uh, you know, get some direct uh, mentorship from you. So, well, uh, thank, thank you, Chad. Thank you. And when you come out to San Diego, you got to come visit me, you know, like we'll, I'd love to make some portraits or if I get up, up your way you know excellent yeah i was gonna say for for sure anytime that uh if you happen to be in the neighborhood swing by and we'll definitely make some plates yes definitely all right thanks conrad cool you're welcome thanks i hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and maybe even picked up some insights that will help you along in your own wet play journey i'd love to hear from you on who you'd like to have on in a future episode so send me a message and follow our instagram account at 10 questions with any feedback don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for listening to me, Chad Shryock, and my expert guests. And I look forward to you joining me again in the coming weeks for a new episode of 10 Questions. Questions.